0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today we are talking about the Clone Wars Season 3, Episodes 1 through 3. We're looking at the training of troopers. We're looking at ARC troopers fighting their best to defend their home planet. And we're asking, is it possible to have Toydarians who aren't anti-Semitic? It just might be. All that more after this commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. This is Matthew Westfox, Fox. Um, and I have a couple quick housekeeping notes to let you all know about. First of all, uh, we've been a little bit rocky the last couple weeks, and I apologize. Uh, I was on vacation for a week. Turned out I did not have great internet. Um, the other thing is that um, I have been quite busy on one of the other Stranded Panda podcast networks, Panda Vision, uh, recording a whole bunch of episodes about Umbrella Academy. We did an episode about every episode of that show. Um, the first season, and then now that we are well, the second season has just launched. We've been recording an episode about every season of that. Um, Jeff Randall has been very busy on that. And so that's why he's not been able to record, um, his episode with me about the third of the movies, uh, Revenge of the Sith. But he will be doing that very soon. Uh, actually, if this episode goes up on Tuesday, as it should, that evening, he and I and Ashley Coffin will be doing a live stream on Twitch of us recording an episode about the um, Attack of the Clones. Uh, sorry, Revenge of the Sith, the third movie. We should be doing that at 7 p.m. Eastern, but I will make sure to put more de- uh, details into the uh, show notes when I post this episode. Uh, but with that, today I am really excited because we get back to Clone Wars. We are back to the starting the third season where things get really good. Um, we found some good episodes in ep- uh, season one and season two, but now I think we really get into the heart of things. And, of course, I'm joined for our discussions about The Clone Wars by Riki and Sarah Hayashi. Friends, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Matthew. Good evening. This is when it gets good. <laughs> Real good. Yeah. Yeah, so what, what, what's getting kind of your overall feel on uh, the episodes we have tonight?
1: Um, well, I think I've mentioned these two episodes, the, f- the first two of season three, like seven or eight times already on this podcast. Um, uh uh-huh. <laughs> In anticipation of it, so I am... Um, I am so
0: excited. Nice. Yeah, we have two. The, the first two episodes are kind of their own little mini arc, even though there's two different episodes. And I think we'll, we'll talk about them separately, but, but definitely we'll connect them. And then the third is a bit of a standalone episode that is, I, I think it raises some interesting question about the politics of the world that I was certainly pretty into. Um, but let's start with the first episode. Um, it's episode 45, season three, episode one, Clone Cadets. On Kamino, uh, this is before the event of Rookies, season one, episode five. Five clone cadets of Domino Squad are at risk of washing out unless they pull their team together, while trainers Brick, Ellis, and Jedi Master, Shock T debate their fate. And uh, uh, a number of these are clones who we get to know later, including um, Fives, Echo, and Heavy. So um, I will say this season is when we really start to play around with the chronology. Um, The first five episodes of the season all have a note about how they don't fit normally in the chronology. Um, So we're playing around some, but it it makes sense why this and then the next episode come where they do. Um, So let's just start. Sarah, what do you like so much about this episode?
1: Okay. So, yeah, as you mentioned, these episodes bookend uh, an episode in season five. It's where the clones are all on an outpost in, oh, I forget um, what. It's Rishi Outpost. Rishi Outpost. Thank you. Um, out in kind of the middle of nowhere where nothing cool ever happens and then some droids come and invade uh so this first episode clone cadets is where we get to meet them and they're all in training so we get to see their individual personalities and it's interesting because when we meet them they don't really have names yet they all are most of them are still using their numbers right um and then as the episode progresses they all settle on a name and sort of a Like an individual personality. But I think I like this episode so much because I think it it speaks so much to the individuality of clones in that in the beginning, they come in with all these really divergent personalities that don't mesh well together. But part of their training is teaching them to be more uniform and more like soldiers. But through that, they end up with their own names. So I think it's like this interesting point, counterpoint of individuality amongst the clones um and then oh the second episode arc troopers just pulls at your heartstrings i cried this is my third time watching it and i cried every time
0: and and we'll get to that let's just stick with this episode for a second um Mm -hmm. I, i definitely i i like those parts of it i i thought it was very striking um you know with people who are all cloned one of the only ways you can physically differentiate them is to give them different hairstyles um and they frequently do and in this, they all start with the exact same hairstyle, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was a really nice way of being like, yeah, to the outsiders, you can't tell them apart. And um, I think it gives you a nice picture of that individuality and how that's formed, but also how they can be a team. I also really like because it it gives you a better picture of how the Jedi, ha- how they're being trained. You know, that we have this general who, it seems has no compassion for them as individuals. He is seeing them as though... You know, he's testing. Um, you know, weapons coming off an assembly line, and these are defective. So let's send them to the defective place and just go to the next one. And I think the tension, especially between the general and the Jedi, about how we, the trainer and the Jedi, about what we do with them, is really fascinating.
2: Well, when you yeah. say general, who do you mean?
1: I think you're talking about Brick. I don't think he is a general. So
2: there's the Jedi. You know, that's why I corrected and I said yeah.
0: the. Tra- I should said that the trainer and the Jedi. Gotcha, gotcha.
1: Yeah.
2: And then the two bounty hunters right and brought in
1: yeah and like okay so ls is a bounty hunter which makes which doesn't feel like it jives with his personality but okay um and then shakti who's also just like she's a super badass and i love her very much so
2: the more shakti the better they seem to use the term bounty hunter very loosely like (laughs) we talked about this with cad bane as well Mm. right and i i think in other universes they would just call a lot of these people mercenaries
0: I I think that's true. My my understanding is cuz in the books um all the clones are being trained by mandalorians. And because they're all sort of, you know, from um uh, you know, Jango Fett's DNA line and they want them to be trained in kind of mandalorian ideas of combat and the their whole combat suit is very mandalorian looking. I I think that what happened is that it, you know, because mandalorian and bounty hunter are considered fairly interchangeable mm-hmm. that somewhere along the line they just sort of like left out the mandalorian part. Um cuz yeah, it didn't really make like it being a mercenary makes sense to me. Him being a bounty hunter, I I was like what what yeah, that that doesn't track at all.
1: Yeah. Like i buy that brick is a bounty hunter, but not not Ellis. That's weird. Mhm. But yeah, you're right. Like especially his 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 of like, well, you know, they failed, move on, checking with the defectives who are the cleanup crew. <laughs> the the one person on that group we meet yeah. is 99, who also is, like, maybe my favorite character. Yeah. Um, I love like 99, and I really love the way we see how he gets treated by different characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, and in the next episode as well. But, yeah, the way that Brick sort of sees him as this disposable, quote-unquote, defect. But the rest of Domino Squad... By the end of the episode, they're they're treating him. They're, they're you know he's his bro- He's their brother, just like any other clone.
0: Right. He's kind of like one half their mascot and one half their sort of like elderly wisdom guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they, they, it, it's nice too. Also, they make reference to him being part of a bad batch, which is mm-hmm. something that gets referenced much later in the show. Um, but yeah, he he's kind of a nice character because to me, this is really getting into these questions of who are the clones? Who are they supposed to be? And how do they relate to everybody else? I mean, to me, this is where, like, chronologically, I wish it had come in season one. But I also feel like it makes more sense here because now we should have passed the part of just this is an easy war, good guys and bad guys. And now we're really getting into, like, you know what? Having all these clones is, like, not – it it poses some real ethical questions for both our generals and our – for the trainers and the Jedi that people are not responding well to.
1: Yeah, and I like, I mean, I do like how they've come, kind of come back to the clones in this season. Um, and yeah, I agree, it would have been nice to have it in season one, because I think this is a really good episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I like that they've come back to it, and I like that they do some, like, gentle retconning, I guess. Like, cut up in that uh, season one episode, has an accent. Which I think we talked about was a really strange thing yeah. for a clone to have, but in this episode we see cut up just affects a variety of different accents depending on mm-hmm. how he feels that day. So I think it gives him like a little bit of backstory, um, and yeah, cut up as well as kind of the the, the jokes turn very like irrever- irreverent and Ugh dies horribly in that season one episode, very unceremoniously. Some... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But So I like that we get to see a lot more of him, especially <clears throat> like um, when he's standing up to Brick and just kind of like being a bit of a smartass towards him, but still sort so showing a sort of deference. It's just not the style that, that Brick likes.
0: And I like that we do now get to see how they get their names, you know? Because mm-hmm. it's you know, someone who's like if his, if your serial number is five five five, then yeah, of course you're, you're named Fives. So that makes mm-hmm. sense. But getting to see that a lot of them they get their nicknames kind of like you know, sort of a, a joking, mocking way, or as you said, with cut up, like this is an insult that that his trainer Brick gives to him, and he's like, "Sure, that's my name. I'm a cut up. Thank you, sir." Um, in that very like, I'm clearly going against you, but I'm acting as though I'm respecting your authority, so you can't really get mad at me, kind of a way, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which was really fun.
2: Yeah, and then we get Echo gets his name because he's always repeating the orders. Yep. Back.
0: Yep,
1: yep. Heavy is not a very light kind of guy.
0: <laughs> well, he carries the heavy weapon.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I did also like that they make such a big deal. Um, this is when you're starting to explore the individuality of the clones. And also we have like the trainers who seem to treat them as though they're you know just machine parts. But I really like that the other trainer and the Jedi really focus on this idea of you never leave a man behind. Mm -hmm. And that when one of their their friends is injured and they decide to just push on, they immediately fail the test. I thought that was a really nice thing because that's a sort of sign of, at least internally, they're trying to get away from this idea of, you know, if a machine breaks in war, you just keep going. You don't go, you know, try to, you know, nostalgically save the machine. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think like Brick especially is treating them like... Machines of War. But, like, Ellis and Shakti, even though Shakti is maybe being a bit harder on the clones, Ellis wants to give them, like, every chance to succeed, wants to let them retry the course again. Right. Um, whereas Brick's like, they failed, fail them. Yeah. Um. And Shakti's kind of like, you know, I, I agree that we should be compassionate towards them, but Brick is right. They did fail the test. Right. Um, and ultimately... They do let them go again. Brick ends up sabotaging them by like stealing some like gatling ropes that they need. Uh, and they like, find their way around it and prove mm-hmm. themselves. And oh, heartwarming.
0: It was good, and I, I like the whole idea that they that they're able to kind of do better than anybody else has. Um, mm-hmm. Although at that point, then I think it's Shock T. One of the two of them says to Brick, like, "Look, by by taking that away from them, you wound up doing a really good job of training them. Like, well done." Yeah, and i kind of cringed at that i was like you know if you abuse someone for a while and then they respond by pushing really hard that's not a justification of the abuse
1: <laughs> um, yeah and clearly that's not what brick was trying to do but yeah to just kind of be like yes i was training them well
0: it's like yeah it felt a little off
1: yeah um...
0: yeah I, I feel like to me it's it, it's a fun episode it's a good episode it doesn't really have that much to discuss or debate but you know i just i liked it
1: yeah i also there's another part where i think it's heavy and echo um who really want to be arc troopers mm-hmm. after being on domino squad is clearly dysfunctional in the beginning and failing these tests they go to shakti and they're like yo we'd like to be transferred to a better squadron
2: i
0: think it's isn't is it that five five
1: and echo yeah for fives and heavy, I forget who it is. They all look exactly the same
0: um, <laughs> and sound pretty much the same.
1: Yeah, um, they they go and, and Shaki basically tells them, yeah, it's it's fives and Echo request a transfer to Bravo Squad, who are like the A team, uh, the best the best squad out there. Clearly going to be ARC troopers, and
2: I feel like they're the B team,
1: the B team, <laughs> B
2: team. Well, they're Bravo.
1: Ah, uh, okay, not the the wrestling reference. That's B Squad anyway
2: wow you just made a wrestling reference
1: i know what's happening to me um they they asked to to leave and shakti's like no work it out with your the rest of your squad you're not good right if you're gonna abandon your squad which is like yeah yeah it's a nice it. thing a you
0: have to learn to work together you can't just sort of look for the perfect yeah Um, since it's so much part of the same arc we can probably move on is there any other last thoughts on this or should we move on to arc troopers
1: yeah let's move on to okay so heavy part of this episode heavy decides that he wants to like just ditch entirely he's not he doesn't go to shock T, but he just wants to like get out of there and 99 catches him and basically convinces him to stay and then at the end once they've like completed their training and done very well heavy ends up giving his medal to 99 Yeah, which is like super sweet it's just like all right well i mean like you have to hold on to this for me i'm gonna come back and get it from you but like... and just
0: for anyone who's like listening along but hasn't seen them or hasn't seen them in a long time 99 is um I-, I think we're supposed to think he's a clone from the same time but he's something is defective and it seems like uh his aging is basically incredibly sp- sped up because he looks like he's in like his 70s and he's kind of crunched over and he looks like he's you know um you know, he doesn't move very well. He clearly can't fight. And so they, they refer to him as a ma- uh, a maintenance clone. Um, yeah. But he clearly has a real, like, you know, kind of like, he seems like the kind of like, you know, old grandfather veteran talking to the new recruits kind of thing.
1: Yeah. He's got like sort of a Quasimodo vibe,
0: yeah. I
1: guess. In that, like, yeah, he is, he's a defective, quote unquote, clone. Um, But yeah, like, like he's aging rapidly, like you said, or something like that. So yeah, he's right. hunched over. His face is kind of droopy. Um, but I like, I like that none of the clones talk down to him. Like, yeah. I find when you get, like, a disabled character in a show, there's a lot, sometimes people, yeah, talk down to them in this, right. like, really patronizing way. And I like that nobody's patronizing 99. Like, Brick's yeah. sort of an asshole to him,
0: but... It seems like it's kind of recognized, like, he has an important role for morale mm-hmm. in a way that, like, people recognize.
1: Well, and he is, like, he's he's on the maintenance team, right? Like, somebody yeah.
0: is... Someone's got to drag gotta be all those
1: dead... Get... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so Heavy gives his medal to 99 and is like, I'm going to get this back from you later. And then in the season one episode, Heavy dies on, on Rishi Outpost. So yeah, then we go to yeah. Troopers. To bridge but... the gap oh. in
2: that episode, they have to blow up the station to stop it from transmitting
0: a right. or something like that.
1: Yeah, the droids are trying to use it for something.
2: It's been a uh,
0: I, I think it's actually to, to be able to attack Camino, so it all kind of mm-hmm, ties together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. so the well, Separatists
2: take over the station and are continuing to transmit the all-clear code, even though a Separatist fleet is flying by. Right. So the clones initially get kicked out of the station, but then retake it and, and have to blow up the station in order to stop the all-clear, and that will alert the Republic Navy that something is wrong. Right. and heavy ends up sacrificing himself to make sure that the the explosion goes off and he, yeah. he stays behind and sacrifices himself for the rest of them yeah and, and i kind of wish
0: i'd seen it after seeing this but it is not, yeah it, it, it sort of give a, you know it's it, it, we're gonna have a lot of chronology problems um the next episode is weird because it on the one hand it fits that it comes after but also like the whole point is supposed to be that this is happening years later so it's sort of like you wish they just trusted us to have some memory um but anyway it is episode 46 season 3 episode 2 arc troopers general grievous and ventress Ven, general grievous and ventress's separatists force launch a major attack on the republic cloning facilities on camino with Anakin Obi-Wan and Jedi Master Shank Ti and the 501st defending it um, yeah. So, what, again? I know you guys, you like this one as well. What, what 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 kind of drew you in about this episode?
1: Yeah. So, as Riki mentioned, this is taking place immediately after that season one episode, um, where like the people trying to get to Camino are uh, Grievous and
0: right. This was the invasion that they they are not yeah. giving you all clear for now.
1: Yeah. And so, like, Heavy dies blowing up the station. So, um, a few members of Domino Squad show up and run into 99 and they're like oh hey welcome back guys uh is heavy with you i've got his medal and they have to explain to 99 like no heavy didn't make it heavy sacrificed himself and it's just like gut-wrenching um and then
2: And, and notably uh i mean on this rewatch i noticed that i believe it's fives on the shoulder pad of his armor has painted heavy's like large artillery gun yeah, kind of a tribute. That was
0: such a nice hit, Such a nice yeah. little touch.
1: Yeah. Oh. Um. Yeah. Then we get uh, some interesting interaction with Obi Wan riding more animals. Yes, Obi Wan gets to
0: ride more animals. And yeah. finally, the the Separatists have an interesting battle strategy. <laughs> like, yes. They do this kind of cool thing where, like, it looks like the ships are like being blown apart, and pieces of them are falling into the water. And the whole point is that actually they have, like, the, the pieces that are falling into the water are the actual invasion fleet. And, like, they have these aqua droids to to, to kick them off. And it I probably doesn't actually make any sense whatsoever. But it was just kind of like, okay, that's a, like, they're not just coming in being big and dumb and stupid the way they almost always do. And I thought that was a nice touch.
1: Yeah, I agree. Especially since, like, they, they know that their invasion is no longer secret since the, right. the recitation got blown up. But, I mean, I guess this must have been their plan the whole time, because you can't just, I suppose, on the fly, aqua-droid it up. But, yeah, and then, like, like, Anakin is up in space, shooting guns, being awesome, uh, and Obi-Wan's like, something's not quite right with this. And Anakin's like, well, the, the fight is up here, Obi-Wan, and then Obi-Wan is all like, is it? And jumps on a... Aquatic animal and rides <laughs> Figures it
2: out. He takes a submarine first. Okay. The submarine is destroyed, and, and then, then he, he rides some kind of manatee ray combination. It's great. Which comes back later and saves him, almost like uh, eagle style. <laughs> Lord of the <laughs> Rings eagles.
0: Yeah, <laughs> That's good. Well, you know he's got ha- he's got to have his 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 zoology time.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then we get Ventress being bonkersly over-sexual, which
0: is fun. Oh, the way she stabs the guy, pulls him in close, and then kisses him? just That was unnecessary. One
1: swift movement? Yeah. Just like very, yeah, super weird. Very just like, hello, I am a femme fatale, without Mm -hmm. any sort of subtlety, right? Like,
0: It was funny, because when they first introduced her, we didn't, I I guess maybe just the angle she was shot at, it didn't seem like they were playing that up as much. And then in that fight where she kills the trooper, like, she turns, and I feel like for the first, at least the first time I noticed it, but the first time, maybe it's the first time in the episode, maybe it's just the first time I noticed it, but we see she still has the boob window in her outfit. <laughs> yep. And then she immediately, like, stabs the guy and kisses him. And I was like, okay. So that's, there's a particular demographic you're going for, and, and <laughs> that's fine. Um-
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. And, like, Ventress, this this season, even, Ventress's character gets... Super interesting. And so much more than just, like, the boob window. Um mm. But yeah, it's weird. I think the first time watching this episode, I, I commented, like, how is, how is her shirt staying on? Like, it doesn't make sense. And I guess just, like, space, it's fine. But she's got, like, a, a neck part of her shirt and then sleeves, but then, like, it's backless and chestless. Listen. So I just don't, okay. I,
0: I think the force means you never need an underwire. Yeah, that's like, fair. You just are always putting like a like a 2 or 3% chant part of the force into giving yourself great cleavage, you know? That's, that's fair. just that's how it's working.
1: That's fair. That's good. I mean, that's what I do. But <laughs> yeah, the just the the so she uses the force to like force choke the dude, the clone, and then brings him towards her and like lightsabers and kisses and like one one fell swoop and it's just a lot.
0: Yeah. Ugh. And I agree with why, you, we why already get some really do great that. stuff about her character going forward. I don't know. I don't Sorry, know Sorry, what did that. you say? <laughs> you why, why would you ever do that?
2: Kiss someone you are in the process of killing.
1: I mean, okay, was it Achilles? Not Achilles. There's some Greek dude who, like, stabbed a chick and fell in love with her in that moment. Oh, And then goodness. was all upset about it. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've taken a Greek mythology class. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just, it's weird. And then she, like, slinky walks away. It, it's... She
2: flirts with Grievous, too, a little.
1: Oh, yeah. She flirts with everybody. She flirts with Anakin yeah. when they, like, confront each other.
2: Which is weird, because yeah. he's <laughs> basically a robot. And
1: she clearly hates him. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: I-, I like her character a lot. This is not the best introduction, but we get some f- we get some fun things from her. And, hey, this time she didn't destroy a chair. Because you remember how in season one she kept stabbing <laughs> yeah, people through chairs? through
1: chairs. Yeah, yeah, it's good. She's moving up. She's doing mm-hmm. great. Right. But yeah, it's, I mean, it, it just feels like they didn't really know what to do with Ventress at first. Mm-hmm. She's just this kind of like, she's like a sexy vampire lady. Um, and then, yeah, her character right. goes through quite a lot. It's great. It reminds me a lot of how I felt about um Ahsoka in the beginning, like in season yeah. one, she was cool. super annoying. I didn't like Sky her at all. Guy. Yeah, Artui <laughs> uh, just awful. Yeah. And then, like now, even at this point, I really like Ahsoka. And by the end of the series, she's maybe one of my favorite Star Wars characters.
0: Ooh. Yeah, I I think that's true. And let, let's not jump ahead again because people who have, haven't seen those things, mm-hmm. um the one other thing, like. There's a, there's a touching story uh, we get and, and some interesting moments happen and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but there's a moment when our clone friends need to do everything they can to like rally the troops, and so they get some of the younger clones to help fight them, to help fight with them. And, and I had trouble being like rah rah, get those twelve year olds to fight with you. Like it, yeah. it and I I mean they're clones, so I guess they're like three years old, although they're developmentally like they look about twelve. Um, and we had earlier seen a 12-year-old Bobo, Boba do some terrible things, but still, like, that scene left me, uh, I was not quite as happy to cheer that on as I think I was supposed well, to Well, this do. is that
2: group, right?
1: Like, this yeah, you know, isn't Boba, is, part, is Boba part of this? I mean, they never explicitly say, but.
2: I feel like it's the same group.
1: Of, okay. Of youths. But still, yeah, like, they, they, they come along, they've just done some sort of training mission, and are wandering around while the, the base is being attacked. And yeah, instead of being like, children, get to a safe place. It's like, okay, children, on your way to the safe place, why don't you help us blow up some droids? Yeah. Which, yeah, is not awesome. Um, and then the part that makes me cry every single time, yep. 99, who is part of this fighting. He, the, the clones need more weapons. 99 knows where they are, is very eager to help out. Was like, I know, I'll go get them. Uh, yeah, they like ask him to not go he's running away and then like gets shot by the droids oh, and it's so sad 99, so precious ugh yeah, I, uh, I really
0: teared up, that was a really nice moment
1: yeah, it's so sad and like, he uh, he just wanted to help he just wanted to do his part I
2: mean, well, he, he did help he helped so that's, much I think that's what makes it so touching is that he was heroic
1: but i don't think he needed to like run off and get the guns to be heroic and i don't think he saw that right like in in his mind the only way to really be heroic is to be on the front lines shooting droids i don't think 99 realized that all the stuff he was doing in the background supporting the clones was also a heroic action and i think that's also what makes it so tragic
0: yeah, I mean, it was a little unfortunate because they say at the end, like, he was a true soldier. And I, mm-hmm. I kind of had a sense of, like, but he didn't mean to be a Like, he did so many other good things without being a soldier. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it definitely was very touching. I thought a really powerful moment from him. um, And it, it just, you know, again, like the last episode, I don't think there's, like, that much that happened. You know, let me start that again. Like the last episode, on one level, there's not that much to dive into, but it was just a really nice kind of day-in-the-life story for this one particular small group of clones. Uh, and Not really a day-in-the-life, because it's a very important day for them, obviously, but it's just, you know, there's very little of the Jedi, there's very little of these high-level things, there's very little, like, arguing about planets. It's just this small little group fighting a small battle with very real consequences.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, I really like this flavor of episode, I guess, because there isn't huge intergalactic politic sort of stakes. It is a failed attempt by Grievous to steal the DNA of the clones. Which in and of itself isn't that spectacular. But yeah, it's it's got so much impact, I think, because we've gotten to know these clones over two episodes. Um and like gotten to know them really well from their very beginnings as rookies to now. When they at the end when they get promoted to arc troopers. Um yeah. I don't know. I, I much prefer this to just like ships shooting at each other in space.
0: Yeah. It it humanizes what's happening, you know, in mm-hmm. a really real way. It, it puts like a human face and name on everything that we're dealing with in a way that I, I just think is really powerful. And I think is a nice way of kind of setting up like what's going to happen with the whole season. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think honestly my biggest critique about these two episodes is the fact that they're not in a chronological order and at no point is it really indicated that they're not in a chronological order you just kind of have to pick up on it yeah which i mean i did obviously went through the first watching but it was weird at first because it's like okay wait what happened to heavy do we just saw him where did he go why are they on camino now what's going on um, and I think the way that they have each episode structured, with the narrator coming in with his like old timey war spiel, uh-huh. being able to put like dateline what the date is would be like a really quick fix and really help I think the audience contextualize these episodes. I don't know. That's that's my my nitpick for mm-hmm. for these episodes. Oh, tell me fair. tell me what's the year. The year <laughs> You know, and then and you get into Star the whole War.
0: question of like, what is date? How do dates work in space? That gets really, really complicated and just, like, just and dumb. Just make it
1: up. Just give me, like, ah, yeah. uh, it's space year seven. I don't care. Just let me, like, put it in between space years six and eight. That's all.
2: That'd I mean. be
0: nice. Well, trying uh, to
2: put a chronology to Star Wars actually is very problematic. <laughs> is this because like
1: it, the old Obi-Wan problem, or?
2: There's that. There's, there's also the fact that it takes like 30 years to make the death star basically
0: yeah there's just so many timing inconsistencies that don't really line up um you know i think it's what happens when you know I, I think it's we are so used to the idea now that when you make a piece of media like everyone's going to google everything and so everything has to line up perfectly mm-hmm. um you know when these movies were being made or even when these tv shows were being made especially given that the audience was like six to twelve year olds like that and, and granted, it, it does actually work for many other audiences, but I think they just weren't thinking in those terms. And I, I it's too bad, because I think it would have been a lot better if they'd been thinking, like, yeah, we can't be so lazy about this. We have to actually pay attention to those details.
1: Yeah, I guess, like, my counterpoint would be, like, to to follow such a strict chronology, we would have to move away from these characters that we know and love, and away from these big plot points in Star Wars history that we're all familiar with. So... I don't know. I'm like, fine with them fudging around with the dates a little bit to, to give us Anakin and Obi-Wan and like Luke, to some extent, just so that we can, we have characters we're familiar with. Right. I don't know. I don't know if like that made sense. What was coming out of my mouth,
0: but yeah, no. I mean, I think I think it's I think it's fine to air them in this order. I just wish that we could then like like you said, we didn't have to go look up on Google where this fits. You know.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just tell me at the beginning of the episode yeah. where it fits. Um.
0: All right. Should we go on to the last episode? Yeah. Well, I got some. Oh, I got some
2: Grievous stuff. Okay. Because Grievous he was
1: Spider-Walking Grievous. Yeah.
2: General Grievous was largely absent in season two right yes that's correct
1: in a couple episodes and here you. he
2: makes a triumphant return uh does the spider walking mm-hmm. to get away uh he even does he, he like crawls underneath he's like crawling upside down on the platform outside which is great and then, and then does like this weird backflip thing onto the the top side of the platform and then of course like has the classic kenobi and it's just great it's great to have general grievous back doing grievous things and and being the villain yeah i missed it
1: okay so why do you like grievous spider walking so much but hate admiral trench
2: because he's an actual spider (laughs) it's fine
0: i I think i I am not a grievous fan the way you are but I, i do think there's a distinct difference between you know, he doesn't have the pincers in his face so otherwise look really creepy. Yeah, and it's the face. It's That's just, the thing it's... I don't
2: like about spiders the most. It's like all of the eyes and like oh. the little mouth with the mouth hand things. The <laughs>
1: mouth hand thing yeah. the pincery things? Yeah. Sure,
2: okay, all right. Whereas like, we call it spider walking, but it's more like Linda Blair exorcist walk. like Which I would argue is
1: significantly creepier than spiders. But it, you is, know.
2: it is creepy, but in a <laughs> not real way. Because sure. no human being does that. Right but there are real spiders
0: <laughs> <laughs> any other uh grievous facts for us grievous no
1: facts. just grievous It's great i like i really like his and Ventress's interactions at the beginning how they're both pretty hostile to each other well especially because
0: and... d- do you get the sense that they're kind of like count dooku's siblings or or like, like his two like vice presidents who are like squabbling yeah, they're, for they're like competing. dooku's affection
1: yeah they're like dooku's kids right and they're like dad likes me better yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and the way that Ventress is just like, oh, yeah. to think that you would have anything that I'd ever want. A
2: hundred percent, because Grievous point, like, always calls her assassin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is like pointing out that you don't have an actual rank in this mm-hmm. army, and then points out like I'm in command of this mission.
0: Yeah, and it's a nice. It's also especially because they both get to use lightsabers, and there's this nice counterpoint of. Like, he's mechanically, I, I oh, think just, yeah. like, you know, his joints work a lot faster than hers, and he can, like, swing the lightsabers a lot faster and this kind of thing. I, I think but she has does. the force, you know? And so there's this weird dichotomy between the two of, like, they each have a totally different power set that, that is different from each other. I think he
2: does a little bit of the spinning spinning sabers in this one, too. Right. Like, to another, show off the Another grievous times. favor. No, when oh. he's fighting Obi-Wan. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah.
0: Where he just, like, spins his hands. Right, yeah, lightsabers, and that's the well, thing everyone, is like Ventress Obi-Wan's. has the force, but he, she she can't do what he can do.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Just all the greatest
2: greatest hits of Grievous. <laughs> Grievous's
1: greatest hits. He says Welcome. Kenobi. Welcome he walks back. A spider. <laughs> Definitely flips his things around. Lightsabers. Yeah.
0: Um. So for episode three, uh mm-hmm. episode forty-seven, and the overall count supply lines with Ryloth under siege, a trap Jedi master, Ima Gundi and his clone forces rally rally the local forces of Cham Syndulla, a character we've met a number of times now. Elsewhere, the Jedi Council sends Bail Organa and Jar Jar Banks to go to Toyderia to ask King Kuntunku for aid to Ryloth. Um, so, let's just take a minute. We all hate Jar Jar. Jar Jar's terrible. We don't want no. Jar Jar in the episodes. Um, no. But beyond that, uh, what did you guys <laughs> think of this episode? Well, I think... That... Oh, go ahead.
2: It's actually like a really good episode in a lot of ways, which we'll get to. But gosh, what the heck?
1: So uh, I, I didn't love this episode, and but it does have maybe one of my my more favorite moments, which is when they're talking about what's happening on Toydara, uh, and they're talking to Bail Organa, and they're like, "Well, the representative from Naboo is there, so we'd like you to go and like help stuff." And yeah. and Bail's like, "Well, I mean." Senator Amidala is perfectly competent, I don't know why you need me there. And they're like, she's stuck in the Senate, it's the other representative from
0: <laughs> the boo. And he's like, oh god, yeah, I'll be there right away, holy crap.
1: And uh, everyone around like, him, they're
0: all just like, oh, it's Binks.
1: <laughs> yeah, because like, everybody knows how incompetent Jar Jar Binks is. Yeah. Uh, and, oh my gosh. But still, I mean, like, he manages to pratfall his way into success, which is his thing. Right. And I don't think anybody else could have made a piece of conceptual art to distract various representatives like Jar Jar could, so
0: Because clearly if I'm coming to a planet and I'm concerned that like shipping activity is going to happen on that planet, the way that I'm going to discover if shipping activity is happening on that planet is by what I see out the window. Yeah. And <laughs> if I don't see it like come on. Yeah. They have scanners, they have other people who are not. He yet has needed staff. Help. Yeah, <laughs> lot Dodd has staff in
2: a starship somewhere, and they would have called him and said uh Senator Dodd theres star- there's a starship leaving orbit shut yeah. up i
1: don't I don't care about this I've got some conceptual art going on in front of me it's great it's
2: yeah so bad. it's so
1: uh, uh, right.
2: but, but instead but... jar jar has to distract, distract lot Dodd by juggling plates and glasses uh, ha,
0: ha, ha. it's so bad uh but so so Ricky, what do you like about this episode in, in a room in a room. In a tall room with windows
2: all around. They couldn't have dinner in a windowless room.
0: No, no, yeah. no, no. no. Uh. All right, but, but um, that's so the Re- bad part. <laughs> so, Ricky, what did you like about the episode?
2: Okay, so speaking of Lot Dodd, there was a bit of dialogue that establishes that uh, Viceroy Newt Gunray is an extremist right. and does not represent the interests of the Trade Federation. Now, we know that's BS, Mm-hmm. But the fact that they say it is acknowledging the weirdness of, are, is the Trade Federation a part of the Separatists? Are they part of the Republic?
0: Right. Technically,
2: they are still part of the Republic, but Newt Gunray is doing this thing, supporting the Separatists, which, in fact, the whole the Trade Federation is behind, mm-hmm. but secretly.
0: Right. And and frankly, I mean, that's, that's something that's an awful lot of historical precedent, you know, like when you know, rogue CIA agents were active in Central America and Reagan oh, yeah. would say like, oh no, we had nothing to do with that. We, or, we you know, disavow. when, you know, um, you know, in the Spanish civil war, all of these countries like just had people who we were like, nope, that, that's not us. You know, we're certainly not, you know, supplying them with all the ammunition that they need from the fascist and Nazi governments. Like, nope, not doing that. Um, so yeah, I I definitely liked that. I, I feel like this was a very good political episode, which Sarah I know is not your thing, and maybe part of why you were not into it. <laughs> Probably yeah. Um, but I liked that distinction, like that, that at least there's this fiction that's being maintained between the the Trade Federation government and the the Newt Gunray extremists. Um, I also really liked the position that the Tordarians were in. Um, first of all, by the way, they managed to to bring the Tordarians who were the we first got introduced to them because of the character who is the owner of Anakin and his mother in the first movie, Phantom Menace.
2: Hey, what you say? You don't like Watto?
0: <laughs> well, I, you know, I would just say I think that, you know, that's a movie on a lot of competitions. There's the pod racing competition. There's the who's going to, you know, do what on Naboo c- competition, and there's the are the Trade Federation more racist against Asians, or is Watto <laughs> more anti-Semitic? Because Don't they're bring both Jar
1: Jar. You've got Jar Jar
0: in there too, and Jar Jar more racist against like Caribbean. Um yeah. But this, they managed to make the Tordarians not be anti-Semitic. Like they have big noses, but that's just their race. And there's not the accents, and there's nothing about commercial stuff. Um There was and... a variety of different accents. Yeah, yeah, from the Tordarian, like group
1: yeah i mean i i appreciate it and i think yeah. that's what you're getting at matthew right yeah it, not... it
0: showed that the, that there's nothing anti. that they, they were getting away from the anti-semitic betrayal and they're also just showing that it's a diverse group of people mm-hmm. um which kind of makes the watto character make more sense but i also just i'm curious so and, and to kind of let remind people or let people know who didn't see the episode basically bail organa comes with jar jar but maybe it's bail organa and what he's trying to do what he wants to do is there's this a uh, blockade around Ryloth and the uh republic has blockade runners that can get past the blockade but they need to be fueled up and they need to have you know they need to be loaded with supplies that they can take to the people on Ryloth and what's actually happening on Ryloth doesn't actually make any sense but let's put that aside for the moment <laughs> um and the point is that Tidaria is like the one place where the the ships holding the the supplies and the ships that can take the supplies can meet up again It's a huge MacGuffin, but let's just go with it. Space
2: geography.
0: (laughs) So what Bail Organa says is, look, this is just a humanitarian crisis. We need your help. And then the Trade Federation person, uh, Locke Dudd, clearly because he's much more on Newt Genre's side than he wants to admit, but he basically on a couple different occasions points out that Senator Organa is lying and isn't being honest about that this is actually – that he's actually asking the Tordarians to come a lot closer to breaking the neutrality agreement than he claims he is. And I wound up feeling like they were right. Like Organa is not treating the Tordarians well. And he's, he's, he's kind of manipulating them. And I really like the idea that the Tordarians had to kind of make a, a hard decision about this.
1: Yeah. And I mean, speaking of out of chronological order, so this episode takes place right before the very first episode of the Clone Wars, where we see Yoda meeting up with a Toydarian king, and he's going to end up deciding, like, well, should I side with the Separatists? Should I side with... The
0: oh, that's funny. I hadn't even connected that, but you're right.
2: Yeah, at the end, at the end of the episode, they make reference to it, saying, "We will send a representative." Yeah. Right. But they don't tell you that this is right. The I very think, first. I they might have said even Yoda, right?
0: But but so what's your take on like the, the position that Organa puts the Toydarians in?
2: It's politics as usual.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's the Republicans being the, the world police, the galaxy police. Yeah. Right. Like they they are willing to do whatever it takes for their side because they know in their hearts that they have a right. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. And yeah. it's not lying if you only say the parts that you want them to know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, it definitely, I thought, was a nice moment of seeing that the Republic is not all, you know, smiles and roses and can be just mm-hmm. as corrupt in its own way. And also this theme that I feel like we keep going back to, that the Republic's really bad about respecting the neutrality of others. You know, oh, yeah. that they, you know, we've talked about how the the separatists have, like, basically, like, tricked other nations into coming into the war. That's, you know, and granted, the Tidarians do kind of see the importance of the cause, and then they do wind up joining the Republic for their own reasons. But it definitely feels like Organa is not, you know, playing from a fair deck here. He's doing some underhanded stuff.
1: Yeah, he's not giving them all the information to make a fully informed choice. He's, yeah, he's just giving them the information that will lead them to helping them, Mm -hmm. helping the Republic. Yeah.
0: I also thought there's a moment when um, the Trade Federation is really annoyed because they want to file a complaint about what happened. And Organa (laughs) reminds them that it'll take years for the Senate to to, uh, uh, to decide anything. Which, given that that was their whole like success plan in Phantom Menace against the Naboo, I, it was a nice bit of turnaround.
2: So I want to talk about what's going on on Ryloth.
0: Sure, so yeah. We've,
2: we've seen Ryloth before. There was the three-episode arc at the end of Season 3. This precedes that, right? Because right. that was the liberation of Ryloth. So this is still Ryloth under siege. Um, Cham Syndulla is leading the Freedom Fighters. And so we get to see, I guess, why he trusts the Republic. Because they they break this blockade and provide the provisions he needs to keep his, his Freedom Fighters going. Right. And, and not only that, but we also see the clone troopers and the, their Jedi Master die in order to help them escape from this valley.
0: Right. Jedi Master and, and- D, like... Pretty clearly, and I think he says to the clone leader, like, you know, we're let's go out blazing. You know, let let let's use our deaths to buy as much time as we can for the people of Ryloth to escape.
2: Yeah, and to me, like, this is not quite as moving as the the death of ninety nine, but it, it's still an important moment, I think, for this television show because, as I believe, it's the first time we see a Jedi die not at the hands of Grievous. Right. Like just random droid troops take out this Jedi and it, and it kind of uh, foreshadows Order 66 that if you yeah. just shoot enough blasters at a Jedi, you'll get some through.
0: Yeah, I think we saw some in the movie uh, in the, the, the um, we saw some in the movie uh, Attack of the Clones, but we certainly I think this is the first and I'm um, yeah, the, the two Padawans have died. But I think did both of them die at the hands of Grievous or did one of them die from something else?
1: Which catalogs?
0: There was the the mon calamari one who dies oh, yeah. by rushing in a little bit too much, and then I thought there was another one, um, who we saw die.
1: You might be right. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, I know there's some that die later, but I don't.
0: Right. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. Those haven't died yet. In oh, this chronology is so annoying. Well,
1: this chronolo- i just mean like in the episodes that we've talked about. So nothing has happened in chronology. Cause right. I think this is like the second episode. It's of Pretty
0: the... early on. But surely <coughs> it, it's but the it's first. Also... I believe non. I think he's an, He's he's listed as a Jedi Master. He's not even just a mm-hmm. Jedi Knight. I and mean, he's certainly the first yeah. Jedi. I think he's the first non-Padawan we've seen die in the show. Yeah. And I think you're right, Riki. It's a very important point in that regard.
2: And I think this whole this this whole season and especially these three episodes we talk about like is this a kids cartoon or what and to me this is when it seems to transition from being a kids cartoon and and the subject matter growing up we have two significant deaths of characters yeah here
0: i agree with that
1: yeah i think it's still a kids cartoon in that kids can watch this and enjoy it but it's not like saturday morning cartoon right yeah. like it's a thing where you probably want to watch it with your parents um and you can talk about some really deep moral implications of conformity and war and, and all that sort of stuff it's not just droids going roger roger for cheap laughs anymore
0: yeah to me it's now <coughs> more in the batman the animated series kind of a world you know where mm-hmm. it's like there's there's some kid stuff but there's some real adult uh topics being talked about but in, yeah i uh i think you're perfectly right it, it's in ways that adults can talk about with their kids um we actually did an episode on superhero. Bleh. We did an episode on superhero ethics a while ago with uh, Jared Silva, uh, who is a parent, talking about how he uses shows like this to talk to his kids, and I think this is a great example of that. Um, so yeah, I'm looking over my notes. I think it's everything I wanted to say about this episode. Any stuff? Any other stuff you had uh, on this episode?
1: I like the architecture. I also I also like that we get to see more about um, Chom Sindula, who especially if you watch Rebels. Uh, comes into play a lot more, but I liked—I don't know—I like seeing the architecture of the Toydarians because they've got the really, really tall mm-hmm. open spaces, and because they fly, like that makes sense. And I think it's just like a neat little thing to include, like a really small detail that has like a big payoff. You probably like wouldn't even necessarily notice it that much. It's just like little world-building bits that.
0: Yeah, I'll admit I didn't even notice it, but you're right. That's a brilliant little thing. Yeah. I think the animation
2: has also picked up this season mm-hmm. significantly. I think so. Um, just in the just in the scenes of this last episode, the battle scenes on the planet Ryloth, the explosions and all that, I think were much more detailed than we've seen, and as well as you know the characters' faces and the mm-hmm. expressions on them. So, so a lot of the stuff is just getting better, and, and of course the writing. I I want to make sure like. To acknowledge the writers of these episodes, if we can pull that up, yeah, yeah. because I, I think they did a, gr- a great job, and I kind of want to pay attention to uh, other episodes that they they write upcoming, yeah. just to see if we can, you know, notice some patterns in our favorites, perhaps.
1: Yeah. So uh, the first two episodes, Clone Cadets and Art Troopers, were both written by Cameron. Oh my goodness. Were both written by Cameron Litvak.
0: I think it is. Lidvok. Yep. <laughs> yeah. The... Um,
1: and d- directed by Dave Filoni, which makes sense. Uh, and then Supply Lines. Actually, uh, uh, oh, has... Arc
0: Troopers was directed by Kyle Dunleavy. but the first oh, one was okay. Dave Filoni. Yeah.
1: Dave Filoni. And then our uh, Supply Lines has a bevy of writers. Uh, there's there's three writers: Steve Melching, Egan Mahoney, and Drew Zed Greenberg. Mm. And it's directed by Brian O'Connell.
2: So those names are actually I've I've seen them a lot. They've been around I think especially Melching did like the first couple in season one.
1: Yeah, so like like staff writers have been around for a while. Yeah, it's just like it feels like it's, these are episodes that you make when you know your series isn't going to get cancelled after one season so you can kind of flesh out a little bit more details you don't have to rush to the conclusion that you know you have to get to. Um, And you've had like some more time with your characters to really sit and figure out what your show's about instead of just like, this is going to be the filler between yeah, X and Y movie.
0: I also think this was the point at which George Lucas started to be more hands off and kind of let mm. uh, Filoni, especially kind of just take over on uh, yeah. the direction of the show, which is really good. I think
1: uh, Filoni's like, is 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 amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, like he's heavily involved with rebels too, right? He's and heavily involved with he rebels. He's now
0: it? involved with some of the other stuff. I I think at this point he's. Um, my understanding is he's kind of taking over from Kathleen Kennedy, and they're going to give him a lot more power to make him basically the um, the um, Kevin Feige of the Disney, of the Star Wars universe. That's
2: awesome. I'm here for it. Is yeah. he taking over from Kathleen Kennedy, or
0: do they just have different jobs? I I think he is. The, the role that she was supposed to play in terms of being the overall kind of like the person or the overall vision of the universe is something that he is now doing instead of her, um, how that's being done in terms of the corporate positioning or something. I have no idea.
2: Yeah. I, I'm just wary of that net, that narrative because we don't know what their jobs specifically are and what their relationships are within the company. And Kathleen Kennedy is clearly still there.
0: I'm pretty sure, and again, yeah, I, this is kind of way outside of our purview, and we can kind of look it up for for future episodes. But I'm, I'm, what I remember of the press release was that they were very specific that, um, you know, thanking Kathleen for the the work she had done, and that Dave Filoni was going to be taking a more active role in, um, uh, that, that Kathleen was sort of uh, handing over a lot of that to Dave. Um, again, that's that's my memory of a press release I read a couple of months ago, so I could be completely wrong. Um, but that's it. That that's at least my memory. It's not just kind of a, a guess based on what was been happening.
1: Yeah, fair enough. And also, like, I could look it up right now. <laughs> Something you look up.
2: But yeah, so I, I think the the writers being some of the early season one writers, it, it makes a lot of sense that it's it's like these tie in episodes, right? Like callbacks to you know the first Yoda episode or to the the rookies clone episode. So it's like these writers are kind of taking what they did originally and saying, oh, I just want to add a little bit more to this story. Mm-hmm. And bring it and bring it up to date.
1: Oh my goodness. There appears to be quite a bit of controversy regarding Dave Filoni versus, quote unquote, Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. So this might be something we'd have to talk about in like a later episode once we've done some reading.
0: Mm-hmm. That's legit, yeah. And I certainly know, uh, Riki, I don't know if this is what you're referring to, I think there's been an awful lot of misogyny in the way uh kennedy has been treated and sort of like that all the problems with this newest uh trilogy of movies are all being blamed on her and i think in ways that are not necessarily i'm i like him a lot i'm if he is taking over more i'm excited about that but i think um putting all the blame on her the way it's been done has often been played out in very misogynistic ways
2: absolutely i mean there are youtube videos that blame her for the fall of star wars which is a ridiculous (laughs) statement in itself Right. But I also think it's it's ridiculous to place the blame on her when, you know, I, I think from a fan perspective, I, at least, it seems like there are creative differences between J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson right. in, in how to direct those three films.
0: And, and the way that so, I heard it is it was never Kennedy's job to sort of be the one to get Abrams and Johnson on the same page, but that bec- in part because of how that went, went. They're, bringing, they're they're asking Filoni to, like, you know, Feige was always the one to do that. Feige was the one to say, okay, if you're using this character in Ultron, make sure that it sets up this moment for this other movie and that everything kind of fits together. And I think it's it's not that that was supposed to be Kennedy's job and she didn't do it well. It's that that was never Kennedy's job. They thought they could just let the directors do it on their own. And now they're sort of bringing in Kent, bringing in Filoni to say, or not bringing him in, he's always been there, but Giving him more responsibility to say let let's do a better job of getting all these things talking to each other,
1: um. Mm-hmm. So like you you do this job that no one actually had to begin with, but it was perceived that it was Kennedy's job, and that's mm-hmm. why and that and, like misogyny is why she's getting so. Well,
2: much but money. also like how do you how do you put it <laughs> on anyone's shoulders to yeah. tell J.J. Abrams what to do yeah. when he coming into this was like one of the hottest things in the industry, mm-hmm.
0: right? Well, I mean, like. Kevin Feige's response was if you think you're too big of a director to not to if you think you're too big of a director to take direction from me then you're fired um, which like a lot of big a lot of big name directors left uh, Marvel movies and you know and here we can get into a very different debate about like which is the better way to do art, art artistic stuff but I think I think what you got at is the kind of heart and soul of this is, is the idea to give each individual director their own space to run and to create or to sort of you know push them to all be part of this larger creative narrative um because right maybe you can't do that with someone like jj abrams And then the question is so is jj abrams the the person you want to hire yeah yeah or ryan johnson
2: yeah, yeah. hire ryan johnson hire ryan Jones. <laughs> yeah i mean i i think we're all
0: pretty i think we're all pretty clear that we like johnson's uh vision more but i but i also think that I, i'm at least very much on the side of that it's great often to let directors do their own thing but that if your goal is to have a trilogy, then the directors all need to be on the same page. And if they're not willing to be on the same page, then you get different directors.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Especially especially with stuff like this that kind of needs to have that consistent through line. Because um, then you get like, even in, um, I know we don't really talk about the movies in this podcast, but in, in the la- latest three, there seem to be a lot of inconsistencies movie to movie, which seem right. to be directors being like, Okay, I'm setting it up this way, and then the the other director comes in and goes, "No, not like that." Yeah. Um, and it's frustrating. And having someone in charge saying, "Like, okay, no, this is the direction everything is going," it would've right.
2: been nice. Yeah. Well, as a comic book fan, mm. uh, I'm very used to this sure. <laughs> with with like each new writing crew, like freely retconning stuff that the last one did, and just kind of or ignoring it or not knowing what
0: happened it's well, but, I, don't know. I mean at least it is comic, what it is at, at least in comic books you'd have like you know one author writes a run of 12 episodes 12 issues that have a similar continuity right yeah you wouldn't yeah in, and i guess that's what i mean is like a trilogy to me should be like a run you know and if the mm-hmm. if the first trilogy the second trilogy the third trilogy don't all match up i'm fine but i like internal consistency within the trilogies yeah i agree and also
1: like comic books are coming out every week Whereas we get a Star Wars movie once every two years or once every year, I guess depending on what. Yeah. If you're if you're going for the main movies or if you're including, the side movies, so having a consistency like, I agree that it's it's interesting to see each writer's take on a comic book. But the fact that comic books come out so often and you can so easily take or leave them, I think lends very well to that. Whereas for a movie, having a more consistent through line as being sort of the core story um feels better mm-hmm. and then like we can have a bunch of ridiculous comics branch off of that
0: <laughs> so this is a great topic for just uh to keep discussing but i think <laughs> i think we're going to wrap up this particular episode about the clone wars if that's cool with everyone
1: oh yeah clone wars what's that all
0: right yeah. uh well uh fans what do you think what do you think of these episodes what are you feeling as we get into season three and especially what do you think of the um some of these questions we we're just discussing um we'd love to hear your thoughts you can find us on uh, email twitter uh, or facebook all that information is in the show notes uh but really the easiest way to find all the stuff about us is by going to the stranded panda website um this podcast is a proud part of the stranded panda network and if you just go to strandedpanda.com, click on star wars universe podcast you'll find all the ways to contact us and then through them you can also find all the other great podcasts which we're we're a part of um there's others on the network that are um Some that I'm completely unconnected to, um, uh, pretty much any kind of fandom that you can think of, MCU, DC, Star Trek, other things like that. Um, And as I said, though, also, I've been very involved with a particular podcast called Pandavision recently. We're doing episodes about the um, uh, new season of Umbrella Academy that just came out. We've done them all on the first season of The Boys, getting ready for the second season of The Boys coming out. A lot of great content there. Strongly suggest you check it out. So, on behalf of myself, um thank you, Ricky and Sarah, so much for being a part of this. Thank you. All to- thank you to all of you the listeners, and have a great day. Kenobi.